Welcome to the Here and Now podcast. This uh, podcast is an extension of the Here and Now blog, which explores ideas in popular culture, psychology, philosophy, and life. In this first episode, I want to explore what I'm calling the Tinder paradigm. And uh, it's really trying to discuss how our culture and society has changed with the advent of dating apps such as Tinder. And with me to discuss the topic is a friend of mine who I value for both his intellectual prowess and insight, um, but mainly because of experience using dating apps. And his name is Amish. Hi, Dave. Thanks for joining me on the inaugural Here and Now podcast. No problem. As a married father of two, I've personally never used Tinder, but I do have experience with online dating. And in fact, it's how I met my wife. So uh, I don't have issues with using online methods for meeting people. But having missed the rise of the Tinder culture, I'm curious to understand how it works and uh, to try and answer some deeper questions I have about whether Tinder and similar apps are a reflection of the social media digital age we're living in, or whether it's simply an app-based interface that does pretty much what we've always done, but from the comfort of our mobile phones. The backdrop for the conversation is fairly dark, and there's been a recent trial, well publicised in New Zealand and the UK, of the murder of Grace Mullane, who was a young British woman who was on a gap year in New Zealand and uh, died on a Tinder date, uh, well, was murdered, according to the jury. I won't go into the details of that case here. You can find it all online. But it certainly raised some questions for me about how Tinder has entered our popular culture. So before we dig into it, I just want to mention a couple of facts about Tinder that I discovered during my research it's been around since about 2012, headquartered in LA, and uh, Tinder's got 57 million users worldwide. And Tinder reports that its users, and I think this stat's a couple of years old, its users perform over 1.6 billion swipes per day. So can you just explain to me how the app actually works and what does it mean when they describe swiping? So you're shown a profile, and it's normally a photo that you see first, and you can Tap on the prof- tap on the the first profile photo and then be shown a, a bio, or you can tap on the right hand side of the photo and it skims through the photos. But generally, what happens is first impressions count. So you either swipe right to like somebody, or left if you don't like them. Um, and if both both parties, so it's it's um it's a I think they call it double blind matching. So the other person doesn't find out that you've liked them unless they swipe right on you as well. So the idea is to keep it keep it fairly anonymous, which I guess was the the success of it um, early on. I I'd, I'd never used anything like that prior to um, Tinder, um, but saw some friends having a go on it. And I think generally what's happened with Tinder, like with a lot of social media apps, is it's it's just it's about critical mass. So I think you know if you if you look at say MySpace and all the other social media platforms that were around early days they didn't really get you know that sort of critical mass to be sort of to become really part of the culture and it wasn't until facebook came along and they created you know that magic interface that everybody liked and then it became sort of uh you know well if you're not on facebook you know what are you doing and i think tinder was like that for single people it became sort of that thing where you know if you're not if you're not using tinder and you're single like what you're you know you're crazy 
it sounds like then is it something like a it's really capturing a bit of a zeitgeist then in terms of people are with Facebook, um, young single people are um, just primed for exactly this type of app. It's like Snapchat, similar sort of thing. It's fairly short, easy to work with. That's right. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a user, user interface. I mean, it's the same with, with, I guess, any technology that's been mass adopted and become, you know, like Uber, mm. for example. It's just the interface, the ease with which it worked that really sort of took off. You could order a, a, a taxi um, online pre pre Uber, but it was you know the functionality of Uber, seeing where the car is, having your your, um, your payment details um, recorded. With Tinder, it was you know it was fairly basic, so it was just upload three or four or half a dozen photos if you really want to, but if three or four photos, write a bit of a bio. Um, the early days of it, I think there were, and this this probably you know what, what we'll discuss further on about sort of safety. The early days of it. There was a function where you would log in with your Facebook ID. So when you open your profile, you could it would sort of either automatically select some photos from your Facebook profile or you would select the photos yourself. Mm. But all of your friends on Facebook would get pulled in. And if you came to somebody's profile while you're swiping right and left who had mutual friends, it would show up at the bottom of their profile, which the idea of that was to – the idea was to – if you had mutual friends, you could use that as, I guess, what they call an icebreaker. So a conversation starter. Oh, you know Steve. I know Steve. How do you know Steve? But they removed that functionality after a couple of years because I, I think for safety reasons, I mean, just because men are generally creeps and they um, do things like stalk women and, and harass them, I think giving away that much information probably wasn't very good. Another really funny, uh, well, not funny at all, probably it was probably pretty grim, the reasons why they got rid of it. but. Early on Tinder, they used to have a, a last active portion on your profile. So it would basically say, you know, when you came to somebody's profile, um, or after you'd matched with them, um, it would say last active one hour ago or last active two hours ago. So basically, if you've been messaging with somebody, and this happens quite a bit um, to everybody on, on these dating apps, you're messaging with somebody, you know, you go away, the conversation goes cold, you try to rekindle the conversation and the other person just doesn't respond for whatever reason, that little last active thing would basically go, well, this person has been on the app, you know, mm. within the last hour or last two hours and have decided not to respond. So I gather there was a lot of creepy dudes who would just start hurling abuse at whoever the the person was on the other end for not responding. And, and I think generally that's, you know, there's a lot of abuse that goes flying around on on those apps. It's definitely a reflection of, the uh, the sort of the male dating profile, um, and here's a stat I found that said the uh, average time um, from making a match until sending a message to the match right. for men it's two minutes for women it's thirty eight minutes so I'm not sure if uh, women make a bunch of matches and then go back through them to decide which one's worth uh, sending a message to in the shortlist whereas men as soon as they have one match they, they message that person straight away. Right. Further to that, they have a stat on the num- average number of characters in a message. And when it's composed by a man, its uh, average number of characters is 12. And a woman right. at 122. <laughs> right. So women are telling yeah. their life story in the first message and men are basically like, you want to meet up? And that's about it. So. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, the etiquette generally is that men men message first on, on Tinder. I mean, I, I it drives me nuts, but that's generally the, I guess, the key tactic there is sending sending the first message. I I have very rarely on Tinder 
receive the first message from from a woman. It's just not the not the done thing. In terms of when you in terms of when you message, it also depends on whether you were the person to to do the second swipe. So, say if you swipe right on somebody and it instantly tells you you got a match, then if you're a guy, the obligation is to really message that woman pretty quickly, mm. rather than sort of trying to play it cool. Does that mean if, that they've already swiped right on you? So when you swipe, right. right, it's just waiting for you to accept it, basically. But you don't right. know that in advance, right? You don't know who. No, that's it. right. Okay. You can. You can. So Tinder, Tinder has a premium feature where you pay forty bucks a month, and you get access to see who's already swiped right on you. So oh, you right. get to peek, peek, peek behind the curtain. So that's. I think I, I saw a stat that that Tinder's revenue last year was one point three billion dollars. Um, so they make a lot of money out of those those premium accounts where you get to remove that double blind feature and peek behind the curtain and see who's already liked you, and also you know just generally to see what the state of play is in terms of who's liking you and who's who's not. But in terms of the yeah the messaging function, as I said, guys message first. But if you get a notification saying there's been a match and it's some girl that you've swiped right on days days previous and then they swipe right on you. You have a little bit of a grace period. You can potentially, you know, wait, you know, either later that day or even the next day, um, so that you don't seem. I mean, there's there's also, I mean, there's a lot of like mind games going on here, and a lot mm-hmm. of debate about which is the which is the best tactic. But you can sometimes leave it a little bit later. And saying all of this, like this, is all just generally through the the prism of my own experience and the people I talk to, mm-hmm. and. I'm not. I'm probably not representative of the of the key key mm. Tinder market. Although there are plenty of plenty of people my age. I don't think I've ever really approached Tinder with that uh, DTF um, mindset. Which you, I'm, I gather you know what DTF means. I think I know what the F stands for. So. Yeah, it's, it's 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 so that's that that's that first message, and it's down down to fuck. So you send DTF question mark, and that's generally what. Um, Tinder has a, a reputation for, you know, there's a lot of people on there that just, you know, guys get a match with a girl and they just send that because, I don't know, that's that's what they do. And it seems, I mean, from what I hear, apparently that's actually a successful tactic for some people. So mm. if it works for them, it works for them. That's what they that's what they do. Um, mm. So yeah, I guess I mean everyone everyone has their different different things they're trying to achieve on there and their different approaches and how they go about it the idea really is to sort of find those people who match as best you can tell your your intentions Mm. yeah it's uh it's interesting you might have read that quote that i sent you in advance that i found from this uh professor clarissa smith who's an expert in sexual cultures at university of sunderland in the uk and she mm. describes how hookup and dating apps is a gamification of sexuality so young women feel more free to articulate what they want and mm. i find that uh, concept of gamification of sexuality or this online dating environment is it's quite a fascinating one because it does seem to downplay the seriousness of what we're really talking about and by all accounts I mean for 50 something million users um, mm. wouldn't you do a basic google search on um crimes related to sexual assaults and so on related to the use of tinder surprisingly few obviously that it happens but uh it doesn't seem to be as big an issue so whether that's because most people aren't out to sexually assault someone or whether people do take um, precautions um i'm not entirely sure 
but that uh, idea that um, mm. you can basically um, connect with somebody who's mm. looking for something short term, very short term, and it's like ordering a pizza. I mean, it, it- I think people have always been promiscuous to 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 one level or not. I mean, I think it's given women the the empowerment to sort of go, well, you know, I do feel I do just want to have sex with somebody, so I'm just going to use this app to do it. There's not many of them that are on there that are, you know, overtly overtly saying that. I think the ones that are probably get a right swipe from 95% of the guys on on the app. But then there's a few others where, you know, generally, I mean, it's very, I mean, you do have to sort of figure that out um, either in, either while you're messaging or if you turn up to a date, you sort of have to try and feel somebody out and, and decide whether, you know, or decide what it is that they're up to. That question that gets asked, what are you looking for? That gets asked by either person. So it's like, generally, if a guy asks, what are you looking for? That's basically a segue to say, mm. I'm just looking for sex. If, are you looking for a relationship? Because that's not why I'm on here. But girls can ask ask that question as well. I wanted to make a point about the, the gamification aspect, though, because there is also a big element of match collecting. So being on the app, um, putting up a profile, and then and then swiping away and then seeing how many matches you get, maybe responding to the odd message from from some guy, but then just generally just collecting them like it's kind of like Pokemon almost and just looking at, you know, this sort of vast array of, of matches that you have. Um, I mean, I know a, a guy, a, a friend of mine who was talking about a young girl that he knew that had like, you know, a thousand guys matched on, on Tinder and they just, she was just getting 900 messages a day from all these different guys all trying to start a conversation with her and she just was sitting there laughing thinking it was quite amusing but there is that aspect to it. there is that aspect to it where i mean everyone falls falls prey to it where um it's kind of like the pokies so if you play pokies there's i don't know if you if you know how they work but you get the free games feature um so you can either you can either hit the you can keep hitting the button and you might hit one spin and it might pay say $15 and you use that $15 to keep playing to try and get the free games feature. But then when you get the free games feature, it might only pay $3. But it's the it's the lights and, and the sound and the general release of dopamine that keeps you mm. playing to get that free games feature, not to actually get the money. Um, and in terms of getting matches, you there is a little dopamine release when you get that little notification that has a, has a unique notification sound and a little icon beeps and it says, mm. you've got a new match. And there's a little dopamine release of going, oh, I wonder who this is. And then that becomes, to a certain extent, addictive. And it keeps you swiping, even though you might have, you know, several people that you're already talking to that day or have been talking to that week, you know, trying to organize dates. Mm. But you sit there mindlessly swiping because you want that little feeling again of, of getting a match. So that's definitely a, a, that's definitely a part of it. And in terms of what Tinder sells, you know, I mean, they have – I don't know if they have advertising anymore. They used to have advertising where while you're swiping through sort of mm. every 15 swipes, all of a sudden an ad would come up in between the profiles. So I think they used to sell that swiping functionality to advertisers that they had X amount of eyeballs on on swiping every day. And if they spent X dollars on, on an ad, then this many people would see it. So that's they, they do want you to be, as much as they say, we want to provide a service where people can find other single people and do whatever they want to do, whether that's sex or a relationship. They say that, but generally what they want is activity. They want you to they want you to be using the app and they'll keep modifying the features and modifying the way that the, the interface operates 
to just keep you keep you on it. Mm. Sounds like uh, there's they're certainly playing on people's sense of uh, ego and, and self esteem. What you described before. Oh, totally, totally. Not dissimilar to what people used to do when in the early days of Facebook, where you just madly just sent friend requests and accepted friend requests, trying to just build up your build up your friend mm. count, like it was some kind of a some kind it's of a game. The same sort of thing as Instagram, getting likes and followers and everything else to. That's right. Yeah. But I, I guess what's interesting then is I was thinking about the idea that we have this online persona, an avatar, I guess, which mm. represents who mm. we want to be in this online environment where uh, we can choose the best photo of ourselves. We can only present images of ourselves having fun on holiday, doing high adrenaline activities or anything cool. We don't see when we get up in the morning or the more mundane aspects of life. And do we then when you say do make a uh, meet someone for a date after matching with them on tinder do you bring yourself or do you bring the avatar that you've created because you can be whoever you mm. want to be uh is there something that we carry over or do people carry over that sense of that it's not real somehow is there is that part of the danger of it or once you meet people for real then all of the gamification that led up to that point becomes irrelevant and now we're just working in real life mm as if you met the person in the bar or at work or at a sports, um, at the gym or whatever else it might be. I mean, I think it's about matching the energy that you had when you started talking to the person. So if the if your conversation was pretty cut and dry, what do you do for a job? That's interesting. Tell me more about that. You know, that's sort of general, just asking people questions and, and them asking you questions and just telling them basic details and then say, hey, do you want to meet up for a drink? If you turn up to that that sort of a date and you're just cracking jokes all over the place, the other person might be like, "Whoa, that's not what I signed up for." But similarly, if if you on the chat function you're cracking jokes, you've got a bit of banter flying back and forth. You've got to bring that same energy to the date. You you turn up and start asking them about their job or general chit chat like that. They're going to go, oh, "I thought there was going to be this fun guy with jokes turning up." So there is that element where you have to sort of remember, I guess, what you've said and what they might have found appealing enough to decide on a decide on a first date but i don't know i mean like i said i only have really my my very limited um view of of my own experience and i think you know you've got to be relatively honest about who you are what what your best attributes are in your profile while being honest because i mean at the end of the day i mean it kind of sucks when you if you turn up to a date and somebody's disappointed because they're not you know they're not getting who they who they thought thought they they were, which leads into a whole other conversation about catfishing. I, I went on a date with um a girl who had been off Tinder for about three years, and I asked her why, and she said, oh, "I went on a date with um to meet up with this guy, and a woman turned up." And I was <laughs> like, "Really?" And she was like, "Yeah, it was just I just got catfished. Like she just thought that that she could maybe." turn up and then explain to me what happened and then maybe we could happen from there and then she was just like you know what I, I need to just turn this app off and I think you know there's probably much worse horror stories than that but mm. I think at the end of the day though you do you do you have to bring your best self to every situation in life sometimes and sometimes you need a reminder um, of how to how to do that sometimes you can look at I mean you can look at it as like a, an impost on your your life you you know you want to be true to yourself and and think you know I don't want to be I don't want to have to prove anything to anybody else but then sometimes you need to look at it as an opportunity or as motivation to to be your best self 
that doesn't mean you know making yourself more attractive than you really are or smarter than you really are or funnier than you really are but just thinking about what it is that people might like about you and then putting that forward you know what i mean so if you are attractive by all means take some photos that show how attractive you are if you're funny then put that into your put that into your profile whatever it is that is your is your best and there's there's somebody out there for everyone i mean mm-hmm. well ne- well nearly everyone i don't think that's always a bad thing to think about what your what your best qualities are and what what makes you unique and and i guess focus on those things that give you you know what if thinking in, if you're a business a competitive advantage mm. yeah well it's interesting when you were talking about the tactics that you use mm. and how there's a strategy that there and that feeds into that idea of the gamification of it that you can somehow mm. find the hacks this is what to say the types of photos to use mm-hmm. to yep. achieve an objective whether it's yep. getting uh, the person talking to you um, and ultimately meeting up I guess when you cross over from the online environment into real life, mm. I've talked about this with my wife quite a bit, that we, when we first met, you know instantly I was sitting in my car parked outside of the restaurant that we were meeting at to have dinner mm. and, and just waiting to see her show up to get a bit of an impression because you can look at the photos. <laughs> I've, never, I've never thought of doing that, Dave. I'm, well, always the first, I'm always the first one there, so I'm always the one sort of, trying to keep my head on a swivel to see which direction they're coming from or I sort of started online dating or using online dating okay Cupid and I think there was what was the other one connecting singles there was a few different ones match.com uh, yeah that sort of stuff when I was living abroad because uh, in a non-english speaking country I found it, it was a good way to connect with other english speaking mm. and um, I learned some lessons pretty quickly and and one is you need to try and meet the person in real life um, sooner rather than later because you can have this great yep. pen pal relationship and really connect and think you're being your soulmate and then you see yep. them and they're 400 pounds and they've got a moustache and you're like, <laughs> I've wasted all this time and energy and then it's embarrassing because you did obviously yeah. connect at some level but you just there's no chemistry. You're not physically attracted to the person. So that's no. my policy. And always get a photo as well, so you do have some idea about what to expect. And hopefully, somewhat recent. Um, you know, this was me when I was eighteen and on the uh, yeah. on the cheerleading team, and um, you know, before yeah. I discovered chicken wings and things changed in my twenties. And and uh, anyways, yeah. when I met my wife, uh, I was sitting in the car and I saw her walking down the street, and I remember saying to myself, "Okay, don't fuck this up, don't fuck this up." <laughs> some years later, yeah. I'm still saying the same thing, although. Tend to forget from time to time is well. That's that's generally that's generally the feeling you should have when you when somebody turns up is you should have that feeling of 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 okay, you know, put your A game on here, pal. Mm. If you've got that feeling of like you're not stressed at all and you don't really care, then then that's straight away probably a sign that you're not really that interested. That momentum is is key though, and that's something that I've figured out over the years because it's there's no correlation between matching with somebody and actually meeting them in in real life um i mean i I don't know what the what the statistics on that are but i think it'd be pretty grim and it is you have to sort of gauge how i guess how careful the other person's going to be in terms of how many messages they or how much information they're going to want to glean from you before they're going to agree to a drink and how how many of them are going to get really bored after you've sent four or five messages and you haven't asked them out for a drink and that varies pretty wildly um, but generally you do, you, yeah, it's about momentum and 
I can tell you from experience, 100% of rain-checked dates never happen. Yes. So every time someone says, okay, yep, Tuesday sounds good, and then they say, oh, Tuesday's not good. Can we maybe figure out something next week? You say, sounds good, and it never happens. Mm. And I know from what I've heard, that's you know generally the experience of everyone. So, yeah, it is about momentum and, and making it happen as soon as possible. I don't know why I don't know why that is, whether that's just a case of they either have, have other options or they're going on dates with other people or they just generally lose interest. Mm. But as soon as you haven't sent a message to somebody or somebody hasn't messaged you for about a day or maybe two days, you might as well just unmatch them, which is generally what I do. I sort of go, you know what? The results speak for themselves. If you know, if somebody if somebody hasn't responded, then it's like, okay. And this is one thing that um Yorgs, who's about to get married to his fiance, who he met on Tinder, he subscribes to the idea of fuck yeah. And the the philosophy is is generally that if the other person doesn't give you a feeling of fuck yeah, then it's a fuck no. And that's a good philosophy to go by because you know if you if somebody is mucking around, waiting a day or two to send you send you a message back, they're not really that interested in you. And then if you're getting that same vibe from somebody when you're on a date, then you know you've just got to go well. If, if you don't have that fuck yeah feeling about somebody, then it's a fuck no. You can't be sort of in between about about anything. That's not really how it works. Mm. You end up in, you know, even if you do pursue something, you, you end up in, in, you know, a subpar relationship because you've sort of tried to make something work because it seemed like the right thing to do. Yeah, I'm not sure if I agree entirely with that because um, things can grow over time as you um, sure. experience things together. Um, maybe yep. that's more indicative of, perhaps workplace relationships or elsewhere where you have a plutonic right. relationship and you get to know each other mm. maybe oh, yeah, sure. through trying circumstances in some context. I think in terms of that I think in terms of that momentum momentum argument though. So if somebody's not hundred percent on board, you can either find out in the moment why they're not hundred percent on board or you can probe with questions or, or whatever. But if you're getting that feeling from somebody that you know they're not 100 on board, then you just got to you've got to pull pin pretty quickly. Yeah, I guess you know? this has gone into more of a, a chat about meeting people through um, these sorts of means. But I guess the difference, in some way, between using Tinder or any kind of online dating environment is you can assume that that people are going there for a reason. Now, it might not necessarily be just to meet up for sex, but it's uh, people hoping to meet up with somebody for some reason uh, where if you were standing in a coffee shop, uh, maybe a bar or a, a club is um, slightly uh, more obvious, but in normal life, we're not typically expecting to meet somebody that we would want a relationship of some kind with. Whereas these apps, it's very clear you go there for, right. for one reason to connect with other people and, and at what level that connection is at the discretion of those involved. I think that's the key thing about them is, I mean, because if you're like me, I mean, I don't, I don't like it when strangers walk up to me and start talking to me. And generally, I'm sort of like, what's going on here? What, why is this happening? And I generally sort of assume that, that that most people are pretty similar, even though they're probably not quite as cynical as I am. Should we call that analog dating? But that idea of just sort of walking up to a stranger in a bar or a coffee shop or anything like that, I think if you look at it from a sales perspective, that's basically mm-hmm. like cold calling, whereas a dating app. If you match with somebody, it's not necessarily a sale, but it's a lead or what you, what they call in sales, a qualified lead. Say you sign up for more information from a company about a particular product. You give them your email address and maybe your phone number, and then they get in mm-hmm. touch with you because you've expressed interest in that product. Now, that company knows you're not definitely a sale, but you're a lead and you're a qualified yep. lead because you've said that you might be interested in buying it. 
and Tinder's like that. All the matches, they're not necessarily going to have sex with you. They might not necessarily be your next, you know, your future ex-wife, <laughs> but there are there are there are leads that you can you can follow through. So if you've ever worked in sales and you've ever had to cold call people who don't want your products, you know how much that sucks. That's the analogy that I draw in between, you know, the old the old way of just sort of walking up to a stranger. The other thing is too, when you look at, you know, the age demographics of, of people on Tinder, when you're younger, you know, you have a, a broader, broader group of friends, you know, you're going to more parties, you're generally out and about more. So you have sort of more opportunity to, I guess, make those, um, make those connections with people in an environment where everyone feels comfortable. You make introductions with people. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but there's a statistic that people have the most friends at about age 25. So basically, once you hit 25, you have the most friends that you'll ever have in your life because you're still friends with the people you went to high school with. You're still friends with the people you went to uni with. You've started your first job. You've made friends there. People are starting to get into relationships. So you're going to different boyfriends and girlfriends' houses and, and you know, your, your friendship network expands like that. So that's probably the, the sweet spot for making those introductions to people. And then after that, it starts to decline. Now, you don't really want to be – the beauty of Tinder in my mind is it stops you from having to just relentlessly be out of the house every weekend, trudging around from bar to bar or party to party, um, trying to sort of put yourself in as many situations to, to meet people. It saves you a lot of time and, and a lot well, of money. Particularly the people – your target market is also using Tinder. Then uh, you're standing around bars hoping to meet somebody and all the people you want to meet are sitting at home on their phones. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I mean it could be it could be a byproduct of generally what society is like now where people don't go out as much as they used to. Um it's harder to get people to go to events. I know that events over the years have been suffering. Every sporting code is suffering from lower turnouts. It's harder to get people to go and see see live music because, you know, all this technology, we've got these sort of, you know, amazing bases that we can we can sit and watch, you know, Netflix on on high definition. We can get food delivered you know, all that sort of thing. So it is harder to get people out of the yeah, house. Yeah, I guess that's where I was going with the original idea for this podcast was that mm. is Tinder um, a reflection of who we are? Like it's just catering to a need that we have anyway? Or mm. is it actually creating a, um, a culture in and of itself? Uh, is it a reflection of modern times or is it just taking advantage of our need to connect with other people? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm like, I mean, there's people now who you said it was, it came out in 2012. So there's people now that are, you know, maybe 27 um, or, you know, 25 and have never known their adult life, you know, being a single adult without Tinder being around. So they probably have never had to hmm. do the, do the analog style of, style of trying to meet people and dating. <laughs> the analog. Being sort of, you mean just talking? Yeah, well, that. <laughs> That being, that being said, they're probably, you know, they're probably not that worried about it. But, I mean, it is something that I, I thought about recently. I was talking to someone who was, I think, 20 or 21, and we were talking about social media generally and, and Facebook and Instagram and how, how rotten it is for society. And I was talking about how I'd hate to be in high school now with Facebook or Instagram. When we went to high school, it was like, I wonder if they're talking about me. But now these kids today, they know exactly if people are talking about them because they get notifications from from Facebook, from from people, from people tagging them in, in nasty comments. So, I mean, it's really hard to say where we're going with this or how, whether it does reflect society or not. But 
in terms of that developing an online persona yeah, probably it, it probably does i mean who knows where general narcissism that's building up in society because we're getting so used to projecting these 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 personas of ourselves these online personas yeah it's an interesting uh, interesting paradigm indeed the other thing is when you think of sort of the slow decline in the in the nuclear family the the rise in, in childless couples and then also the the massive rise in terms of household demographics of of singles living on their own there's also the element of um i guess option paralysis where you know, you have so many options available to you now for potential partners that you don't you don't choose one, or when you do choose one, you're thinking the whole time, "Well, I could just turn on on that app and get somebody somebody better anytime I like." So I, I sometimes wonder what what the effect of that is long term. Yeah, so there's a false uh, sense of what connections between people in real life really mean. Hmm. It comes back to that gamification thing, isn't it? You're, you're removed from real life by this important step but the more we live our lives in an online environment and represent ourselves in this certain avatar type way Mm -hmm. then how how do those relationships transfer into real life do we approach it i mean it seems kind of ridiculous that you got two guys approaching their 40s um talking about what um people in their 20s do haven't got a fucking clue so that's yeah what, no exactly should be talking to someone who's 20 years old and ask them how uh, how they work with all this how stuff fucked up they are yeah what it means to them uh so maybe that's part two of this podcast is to uh, get somebody who's a bit more in touch with how that as you say it's a interesting thought that these people may have entered the dating world only ever having had tinder available to them so shit, it's making me feel old thinking about it. Trust me, Dave, I feel I feel old too, but but uh there's there's hope yet. Mm. Yes, very good. Well, I guess that's about um, all I uh have to th- say about the topic for the time being. Have you got any other thoughts before I wrap this up? Oh uh, no, nothing nothing at the at the moment, Dave. I'm sure something will come to me later. Mm. All right. Well let's wrap it there. And that's a good um a good uh, thought to keep this conversation going is to get somebody in from a slightly younger generation, Gen Z, Y, whatever they're up to these days. What are they going to do after Gen, Gen Z? Uh, where do you start again? Do you go back to A? I don't know. I think, I think we'll all be dead by then, Dave, to be honest. <laughs> and, uh, and find out um, what somebody who's living that uh, really has to say about it. Well, thanks very much if you've made it all the way through the first episode of the Here and Now podcast. And thanks to my guest, Hamish Williams. Apologies for the audio difficulties uh, throughout the podcast. As I get better equipment and a bit more practice, I'm sure that will only improve with time. You can find the Here and Now blog at www.theherenow2017.com and you can reach me at email theherenow at gmail.com. That's email theherenow, all one word, at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining me and we will see you at the next episode.